Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We are back with another five players. I cannot stop drafting, and we've had seven amazing guests for this series so far this summer. They've all been wonderful, uh, but none of them won $2 million playing fantasy football last year. Uh, that changes today. Patrick Corain, winner of Best Ball Mania 3. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? We're great. As we were saying before we hit record, preseason starts this week, and uh, we just feel behind as soon as that happens. But this is a fun time of year. It's a really exciting time of year. It is a fun time of year. I'm trying to get a lot of drafts in. I feel like, you know, I didn't necessarily think like last year I needed another thing to kind of capture a ton of my time, but here I am. Uh, just doing more drafts than ever before. So it's uh, I, I I feel behind uh, making sure I'm getting all the content out I want, but also making sure I'm getting all these drafts done. Yeah. As you can see, all that content can be found at legendaryupside.com, Legendary Upside on YouTube, and I'm sure we'll plug it throughout the show. Okay, here we go. Kick us off with the first name. Who can you not stop drafting this year? So Brees Hall, I literally cannot stop drafting. Um, he is a guy that, you know, was sort of in that early third round range for a while and i was drafting him a ton there and then he was like mid third still drafting him now you're seeing him in the fourth sometimes can't stop drafting him i'm being told that if cook were to to sign there he might go in like the fifth might literally not ever not draft him (laughs) (laughs) um so like my thing with Brees hall we we did have um a small sample with him last year but he flashed like everything i'm looking for the, the name of my site is based on this idea that we are looking for the type of upside with early round running backs that can shift a fantasy season, that we actually remember that fantasy season because of that running back. When you're looking for that kind of outcome, you need a guy who's going to be incredibly efficient in all phases of the game as both a rusher and a receiver. That's what we got from Brees Hall last year. Uh, he was also a very strong prospect. I know, Hayden, your model really liked him. I mean, he was kind of popping as like a, a Zeke level prospect in some stuff. And like, I was also sort of like, I don't know, this, this seems like a little aggressive. The, the NFL doesn't seem to like him as much as Zeke, certainly. But uh, after his rookie season, I'm like, hey, you know how he was an awesome prospect by a lot of analytical stuff? That That's probably good. The Jets, I think, you know, may bring him a little slowly at the beginning of the season. And, and that's where you're getting some of this Dalvin Cook stuff. Like, I don't think they want to put too much on his plate as he comes back from the ACL tear. But it was a clean ACL tear. And he's going to be 10 months removed from it at the start of the season. And the real reason to be excited about Brees Hall is that by the end of the season, when we move into best ball mania, where you need to win three consecutive single week tournaments, Brees Hall should be hitting a stride. This is a team that's going to be trying to win a Super Bowl this year with Aaron Rodgers. Like if he's clearly their best running back, I don't care who they sign yep. before that point, they're going to ride Brees Hall. He was, he was just amazing last year is really what this comes down to. I think his backups, I mean, Michael Carter's like there were a report today in the athletic, like he's roster spots, like not secure. You know, I think he's going to dust Bam Knight and, and Izzy Abanacanda, even though I like Izzy, but he, he's more of a change of pace speed back compared to, to Brees. Who's going to carry the, the work for this team. 
assuming they don't sign Dalvin Cook. That would change the early season outlook enough that I would want my ADP discount. But like I said, I would still be hammering him once that came in. And Hayden, real quick, I know Diana Rossini was just on the Pat McAfee show, and I think she kind of has the latest on Dalvin Cook potentially going to the New York Jets. And her quote really stood out to me. This team is very certain about who their identity is and who they want playing which roles. And Brees Hall is their guy. Would be nice to have Dalvin Cook as an insurance while Brees is getting better? Yes. But I'm not sure if Dalvin Cook and the Jets are on the same page of his role. So it seems like they've been pretty honest with Dalvin of, hey, if you're coming here, you might get you know, a dozen, 15 touches early on. But as soon as Brees is healthy, you're taking the back seat to him. And like you said, Pat, that's exactly what we want to hear. And there was like a rap sheet uh, report saying that Brees Hall is like, seems to be on track for week one, but like week five is their target date to like really like make him the guy. So to me, all the stuff about Dalvin Cook, I don't really buy all that much for a couple of reasons. One, the depth chart, they just drafted Izzy, Michael Carter's there, Bam Knight's there. They already have four guys. I think adding a fifth guy seems a, like a little bit of overkill after investing into the position so much in recent years. It seems like the reports on Brees Hall's knee are at least fine for right now. And I think Dalvin Cook is just desperate for landing spots. I think a lot of teams, like, for example, the Dolphins, have given him a figure, and it hasn't been as much as he wants. I don't think the Jets are going to all of a sudden become desperate for that. They seem pretty deep over there, and I think that the upside case with Brees Hall remains intact. When I was looking at my model, he was popping as a prospect on tape. He was a little bit boom-busty, but then I put on his Jets tape last year, and I thought he was a way more consistent rusher than I was expecting. So to me, he has like this legendary upside profile. And at the end of the day, even if there's some Dalvin Cook risk, we're trying to come in first place in either our redraft leagues or first place in best ball. We have to be playing for upside outcomes, especially later in the season. Brees Hall really is checking all those boxes. And as you said, you don't have to pay up. It's running back 11. Right now he's going as the 10th pick of the third round. And there are some changes from last year. You know, it's a different offensive coordinator, obviously a a very different quarterback. And so maybe a lot of the pony personnel, the two running back usage that we saw last year won't be used this year with Aaron Rodgers. But Pat, what I keep coming back to is envisioning Aaron Rodgers throwing the football to Aaron Jones and then just inserting Brees Hall into that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's 111 catches over the last two seasons, 11 receiving touchdowns for Aaron Jones this past season. And that's when it was a, not a 50-50 split, but a good split with um, A.J. Dillon in the backfield too. Brees has far and away the most talent on this roster. And so while we can't you know, plug and play Mike LaFleur's running systems and running schemes into Brees Hall, what we saw from his rookie year to his second year, we can keep the Aaron Rodgers offense of a lot of those short passes to running backs. And to me, that is super exciting for where Brees Hall's strengths are as a player. It's such a good point with Aaron Jones. I mean, this is a, he was going in like the late second round last year. And none of us expected him to be a workhorse. It's basically a play on the the receiving ability. You're getting that with Brees. He flashed that in a big way last year. They were targeting him. He had a pretty strong receiving profile coming in. He's flashed the receiving efficiency. So, yeah, he's not quite to the level of receivers, Aaron Jones probably. But on top of that, you're getting like a a sort of a mashup with A.J. Dillon. Seems pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as they drafted him, it was one of those players where they said, hey – 11, 12 play drives are really difficult. So why not get a guy that can take it 40, 50, 60 mm-hmm. yards? And that's exactly what Brees Hall and probably why they got Izzy too, because if you give him those lanes, those alleys on the outside, that's his strength. It's not running up the middle. Okay, great start here. Who's the next name? Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba <clears throat> is my next highest guy uh, in ADP here. Uh, and this is, There's going to be a kind of a theme to this. I'm looking at the end, the end of the season being the most important um, 
part of these tournaments. You know, we got to score a bunch of points right at the end. So I, I thought the theme might have been that the average age of all these guys is 22 years old. <laughs> well, that's the same that's thing. <laughs> that's the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, with JSN, like early on when he was drafted by the Seahawks, it's like, oh, man, he's going to have to work his way into these three wide receiver sets. How much are they even going to play out of 11? Are they going to be running a lot of two tight end sets? Pete Carroll said, yes, we are. We are going to run a lot of two tight end sets in the post game, uh, post draft press conference. So you had to like kind of temper your expectations in a serious way for the early season stuff, but he was still a very enticing target earning type of play down the stretch. You kind of envision like that Amon Ra type breakout where like, he's just like guy earning targets underneath down the stretch. But I mean, the training camp that we've gotten, the reports that we've gotten out of JSN have been glowing, uh, from DK Metcalf and stuff, they're like, he's a professional wide receiver. Like right away, he's a professional wide receiver. Now it's just about getting him on the, the same page with the playbook, with the intricacies of everything. I think he fits so well with Geno Smith. Geno Smith is very accurate in the short area. You know, and he's just, he's going to be a guy that they're, I think, going to be leaning on for some yards after catch. We know Tyler Lockett is intentionally horrendous as a yards after catch producer. He wants to get down as soon as he catches the ball. Like he's, he's infamous for this. Um, they, I think, are very intrigued by what JSN does after the catch, and he can get open uh, extremely quickly. And so, yeah, I don't know. Like, how many routes does he run the first few weeks of the season? Like, maybe a lot fewer than we're hoping. But um, I don't really buy that he's going to be kind of blocked and and not able to access enough routes down the stretch to where he can't make an impact. He He had an extremely high ceiling to me as a prospect – Maybe not in an archetype sort of way, but just to be as wildly efficient and productive as he was at Ohio State at such a young age, playing alongside Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. Mm-hmm. He only got the one season, but that screen ceiling, right? And now we get training camp reports that like, yeah, he's that guy. So I, I'm I'm very in. Yeah, I think there's gonna be a huge identity shift with the Seahawks, uh, even from last year. Colby Parkinson, Will Disley, and Noah Fan all ran more than 225 routes. As a team, the Seahawks were eighth in tight end usage. I think that's because they didn't have a third wide receiver, and that will all change. We've already seen the Seahawks. They completely made an adjustment. They were sixth in neutral pass rate as a team under Geno Smith, and I think that's the first part we have to solve. Is Geno Smith legit? I think his tape is legit. His advanced numbers were fantastic. He throws the ball down the seam. He might be the most accurate quarterback in the damn league, and JSN is going to be the underneath uh, option for them. It's a perfect scheme fit, balancing Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf on the outside and down the the field where JSN is going to eat underneath. And they're going to probably probably play pretty fast, and they're going to score a lot of touchdowns this year. And I'm with you. Tyler Lockett was very good last year, but his usage, like he was like the wide receiver 36. If you're looking at his like targets and air yards and all that stuff bundled up, he got there on touchdowns last year. If that comes down, I do think there is enough room for a third wide receiver on the team, assuming the tight ends dip. But obviously, you're not going to throw the ball to Noah Fan, Will Disley, if you have JSN now. Right. Uh, this is almost, they are showing their hand by, you know, their wallets, their draft picks of the season, where, as you guys have all said, Last year, they were 26th in the league in 11 personnel, 63% of the time um, on passing plays. And to me, this is like unlocking a section of the skill tree that the Seahawks, despite having a super explosive offense last year and a really good offense last year, did not have where their zero success inside the red zone or really opportunities inside the red zone because they were so good on those explosive play numbers 
it makes me get excited when you have someone that has very different skills, as you said, Hayden, to the Tyler Lockett's who can do a bit more than maybe what we envision and think of him as just like a, a deep ball catcher. And then obviously DK Metcalf too, but like running just 18 plays from inside the five yard line, which was the fewest in the NFL with how good this team was last year, that's going to change. And maybe JSN is the one that can kind of take advantage of those numbers too. I'm really excited for him. Um, Pat, are, are you taking him over Tyre Lockett straight up? Yeah. If both are on the board, I am too. I am, yeah. And I'm willing to reach for him in the fifth. Like, I, I will sometimes get locked out of wide receiver a little bit. Where, like, basically, if Brandon Ayuk goes at like 503 or 504, Kirk's off the board. Mm-hmm. I'm fine just taking JSN. And, like, because sometimes in drafts, I'm like, what can I get later? Like, I can get wide receivers who I feel like pretty solid about just like being out there, running routes, doing their thing. I can actually get that at the six, seven turn, no problem. Mm-hmm. What I feel like I don't have access to is a guy who is just like scorched earth down the stretch. Like yeah. I'm like, who who available is is left that could do that? Like kind of yeah. just JSN maybe. So I I'm willing to reach for him. Um, I also take a. I mean, if he's in the sixth round and I'm on the clock, he's I'm taking him. What's different about him? Not take a hard right turn here. Then to you, like Jordan Addison, Quentin Johnson, other. Well, we'll talk about another rookie wide receiver here in a moment, but um, they don't obviously go back to back to back. Jason's the highest one drafted, yet he makes his list for you and the other guys do not. Yeah, I think Addison, like when I was looking at what he brought to the table, I was like this. He profiles as like a perfect NFL number two. Like I think he's he's versatile. He can he can win deep. Um, he's a little bit undersized, but he strikes me as a guy who's going to hit the ground running like kind of a professional wide receiver right out of the gate. Um, but just didn't feel like he kind of had the same ultra high end ceiling that JSN could provide if he is what he flashed. Um, so I like Jordan Addison. Like I, I'm happy to take him at that six, seven turn, but it's, it's really just kind of that ceiling. Like how does he, just, Justin Jefferson's the guy there, you know, right. so it's just a little bit harder where like, I am, I am not drafting DK Metcalf a ton this year. Cause I'm, I'm actually worried about how much he's dominating targets the last like five or six weeks of the season. And he's pretty expensive. And if DK Metcalf went near where JSN went, I'd take a ton mm-hmm. of them, but it's just like, I am kind of playing that Seahawks. Um, I'm playing it as a little more open than people are, are assuming. I like yep. that. Next up. So yeah, Jalen Warren, uh, I, you know, I, I do not, uh, I do not really like Nashi Harris as a, as a, player. Uh, he's, he's a <laughs> hard page flat out. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's, I mean, he has not flashed a lot, um, as an NFL player, particularly explosiveness, right. And that, that was the red flag coming in. If you looked at his, you know, 20 plus yard runs at Alabama, like it was a serious concern. You know, I was a little bit nervous about him as a prospect was surprised, not surprised by the time it happened because the reports were so consistent that the Steelers were going to take him in the first round. But I, the first time I heard it, I was like, really? Um, and now we're in year three and it, and it, that red flag has materialized. He has not been explosive. I thought his receiving chops were a little bit overblown. You know, he's not particularly efficient as a receiver at Alabama. He hasn't been all that efficient um, as a receiver, as a pro either. And then Jalen Warren comes in last year and flashed some really interesting receiving ability and reports are that he's their best uh, best pass blocker they've been talking about how quickly Jalen Warren hits the hole Jalen Warren's not small he's like 215 pounds he 
is a guy who was kind of a passing down compliment last year, but he he's short. He's like five, eight, but he's two fifteen. Like he can pack a punch. So when you're taking Jalen Warren, it's not just like the Steelers, JD McKissick. This is, this is like drafting. I think like Alexander Madison, a couple years ago, mm-hmm. you're, you're making a play on like a pure three down handcuff. And we don't, we don't have as much evidence that he really is like that kind of Alexander Madison plug and play, you know, he's six K on DraftKings, and you just, right. you're just excited to put him in your DFS lineups. You know, if Najee were to miss a game, but I think he is that type of player and he, he flashed some really strong efficiency as a UDFA in a small sample, but I am willing to bet <laughs> against the starter here is really uh, a lot of what it comes down to. And there are some other guys in that general ADP range, like Elijah Mitchell, where the case four has gotten a little weaker. Damian Harris, the case four is starting to get a little weaker. We're, we're starting to hear about other backs in that offense. Uh, the case for me with Warren has not gotten weaker. He continues to get talked up. Um, Anthony McFarland got like a tiny, tiny bit of buzz uh, today in something I was reading, but I think it's more no chance to make the roster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, I'm I'm happy to draft Jalen Warren. He's my second highest drafted player overall. Wow. I was looking at next gen stats, rushing yards over expected. He was this is not a meme. He was sandwiched between Ezekiel Elliott and Leonard Fournette last year uh, for Najee Harris, and to me. Yeah. Najee Harris seemed like he put on all this weight so he can handle the workload. And that's was his problem last year is he thought that Jalen Warren wasn't going to be a part of the picture. So he's like, all right, I need to be 240 pounds so I can handle the rock 20 touches a game. He needs to lose weight. In my opinion, he needs to get more explosive now that they have that. He has like a legit uh, third down option next to him. And Jalen Warren, he's one of these guys where I want my backup running backs to be big enough to handle a workload. If something happens to Najee Harris. And I would say there's probably what, like a 10, percent chance that Jalen Warren uh, just actually su- supplants Najee Harris for like meaningful snaps uh, and it could even possibly be 10, higher sure. than that yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah it's it's certainly go higher I'll also say yes but in the event that Najee Harris misses time I feel extremely confident yeah. that, that Jalen Warren's it the thing about Jalen Warren's that I found so interesting is when there's all these running backs like that like, run to the flat he is running so fast to the flat. He's catching the ball so efficiently. Like there's like no wasted movement with him. I was very uh, surprised by how good his tape was. He wasn't just like an analytics spreadsheet type of guy to me. I thought that his tape was like legit nice. ESPN has these um, these uh, player tracking metrics: open score, yards after catch. They have the, in their overall receiver ratings for the running backs. Warren came out number two in their Ooh. their player tracking behind Christian McCaffrey. He was actually tied with Austin Eckler for number two behind Christian McCaffrey. So, again, small sample, but he really flashed. And in a backfield where, like, someone flashing is is a new and exciting thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess my biggest concern with Jalen Warren, and maybe you can tell me I should just be looking at receptions, is just, like, the touchdown upside here. Mm-hmm. Because when they split this backfield last year, Jalen Warren got just 10% of the team's carries inside the 10-yard line. And just five total red zone targets. Um, now, part of that is maybe with the volume of the Steelers offense getting better, then that just equals larger raw numbers for him. But it did stand out to me that, and I think we can all say this, as you said, Hayden, uh, there was nothing special about Najee Harris last season. Yet still, when you have to have it, when you have to convert four-point plays, this team still relied on Najee Harris way more than they did for Jalen Warren last year when the opportunity did present itself. 
Yeah, that's why I think in half PPR, he's probably somebody, Jalen Warren, if he's in your flex, that's probably not a good thing if Najee Harris is active. But in the event Najee misses time, I do think if you're ranking just these these backups, I think that he's at the very, very top of the list. Yeah, we actually reached for him um, in a managed league, uh, like probably around ahead of ADP, because I, I think he's even better in managed because you're going to know when to play yeah. him. Um, but, you know, we also don't know exactly when he might rack up, you know, four or five catches in a game um, and, and add a big play or something. So I, I think his best ball profile is still very interesting. Uh, I also do, you know, if you want to think about the Najee, his grip on stuff, that third year, you know, is when teams have kind of lost faith in their early totally. picks. That's when kind of Leonard Fournette, we started to hear big time rumbles. They were not happy. Uh, that's when CEH got phased out. I don't expect him to like get phased out, but I, I don't know like how tight of a grip he has on yep. all of the high value touches. Yep. I think that's a great point. It's a really interesting round that he's in because Tank Bigsby, Tyler Algier, Kendra Miller get drafted all in the same round as Jalen Warren, who's going as running back 45 early part of the 12th round. All right. Have you ever been on vacation after a long day of activities or sightseeing? You have a night in room service, bathrobes and television or movies. And when you're in a foreign country, you scroll Netflix or Hulu or whatever streaming service you have. And you realize that the library of content there is so much larger than it is in the United States. You start a new show, a new series. And when you get back home, you realize you now have to find that on a different service or pay for it in a different way. That is where Surfshark comes in. It's a VPN service that lets you virtually travel the world with a tap of a finger. You can go to Spain, Canada, Costa Rica to watch the content available in those countries. So you can try Surfshark today, totally risk-free with a 30-day money-back guarantee. And get Surfshark VPN at surfshark.deals underdog or enter promo code underdog for three extra months for free. You heard me right, three extra months for free. That is surfshark.deals slash underdog. Your fourth name, who is it? Marvin Mims, um, who, you know, by the time you're watching this, maybe he's going ahead of, of Jalen Warren if he screams up boards enough because, you know, I've actually been a little surprised with his underdog ADP not moving up as quickly as I thought or as high as I thought uh, post-Tim Patrick injury. Uh, you know, and now KJ Hamler's out of there too. He was... Uh, the first receiver that Peyton has drafted, he talked him up as a guy who can get open. He said, you know, that was kind of what this guy does that in a receiver class where there, he didn't see a ton of that. Um, and I thought Marvin Mims was, he didn't like necessarily sort of check all the boxes from the analytical perspective. He never really had, he never had a breakout season by the 30% dominator rating that, you know, I tend to tend to use. And there was, you know, a few reasons there, there's things you could poke holes in, but he was an early declare who was, pretty productive over the course of his career. He was a very strong prospect coming into college. They traded up for him in the second round. He's fast. He's a little, little undersized, but not like overly undersized. And he has that speed that you're looking for from a guy who's going to try to play outside at like 180, 85 pounds or whatever he's going to play at. So um, I think, you know, there are concerns about how many routes he runs. Like uh, we just came off ADP chasing and, you know, uh, Sam Sherman was kind of mentioning like, Hey, you know, are they going to run so much 12 that we don't get the route rate that we're looking for from Mims? And I think that's a legitimate concern, but he is a potentially very talented rookie who has splash play upside. 
with Russell Wilson returning, hopefully to something interesting in a Sean Payton offense. So as kind of a down the stretch play, he's been a no brainer for me. And that's what he's been priced as so far, you know, 150 plus, right. I've been getting him in the one seventies and the one sixties and the one fifties as he moves into like the one forties, it will become a little bit more of a concern. So this is a guy I haven't been able to stop drafting. Maybe I'll be able to stop drafting him a little bit, but I, right now I'm like, let me, this is last call. Yeah. I'm, I'm reaching, I'm reaching, you know, because it can all change after like that first preseason game. Like if he catches a 40 yard touchdown, then it's over. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So yeah, I'm willing to reach right now. And then if I don't take a ton of them, if he moves into the 11th round or something, I'm, I'm okay with that. I think that's how I will be playing it too. I wasn't drafting a whole bunch of them because I thought Tim, ba- Tim Patrick was like going to have a real role here. And I thought that Mims was going to be on the outside, but now he's got the inside leg on the three wide receiver sets. I thought he was interesting as a prospect. I thought he was going to be one of these guys where like it's an early declare and it's going to take him a couple of years in the NFL to like really start to develop because at Oklahoma, they were running a ton of option routes. That was a, a kind of a messy offense when you're talking about like trans transitioning into the NFL. But the guy he kind of reminds me of a little bit is like Rashid Shahid. And that might be insulting to Marvin Mims because like Shahid was came out of nowhere and Marvin Mims like a legit prospect. But I thought Rashid Shahid could win downfield. And I thought he was actually a decent route runner for what he is, but he just is not going to be a high volume guy. I was looking at my Marvin Mims pre-draft profile and 56% of his yards and a hundred percent of his touchdowns came on targets, 20 plus air yards downfield. So he was basically only a deep threat, which has been pretty good for Russell Wilson. So I think that in like managed league, it's going to be very tough for Marvin Mims to get there. But I think in best ball, if you are trying to stack a, Russell Wilson, I do think that he is viable just because I think he's going to be like a vertical slot type of guy. Maybe if we're lucky, he turned into like Christian Kirk. Maybe I'm galaxy braining this a bit too much in a, in a bad way. Um, obviously, he had a 17-yard average depth of target over the last two years. Um, he and Tim Patrick are like totally different players, mm-hmm. you know, like totally different. Tim Patrick fits in that historical big slot that Sean Payton has really liked over the years. I mean, you can go back to Marcus Colston. You can go back to Michael Thomas in a way, like on the underneath patterns. And as we've all talked about, Marvin Mims is a vertical player. Um, I'm a little bit nervous that even at the quote unquote discount that we're getting with the Broncos, that the puzzle pieces like still aren't fitting together very well. Um, I'm nervous that like Russ is totally cooked. And well, that's definitely a concern. Right. And but if that is the case, then maybe getting the one that doesn't have to rely on the pure volume in the short and intermediate area who can hit some of those big plays down the field as we've seen Mm -hmm. Russ have his best success. Um, But also, like, if I know that, defenses know that, and they will see, you know, two high stuff way more than they've seen single high, especially last season because um, Russ really struggles over the middle of the field. The other thing I'll say, I mean, I I wrote an article about this uh, on Legendary Upside of, you know, if you're going to take risk, with some, especially if you're looking at some of these higher upside later season plays, you can take it with a bring back. So Justin Jefferson, or sorry, Justin Herbert plays the Broncos in Week 17. So if you go Herbert and then you prioritize Mims a little bit ahead of ADP, you, I mean, I, I don't really care if it's Jared Stidham. Yeah, I just need that game up. Yeah, I just need the Broncos to be passing. Right. I mean, Stidham supported a pretty good game out of Devontae Adams last week, 17. Yeah. Like, that, I can get there with, you know, a Chargers stack and Mims. Right. Now, this that changes a little bit if Mims – probably the first one I'd say we probably want to be price sensitive here. Like, if he comes up into the 11th yeah. round or something, you're asking for more than this. But 
so far, you've been asking for a really nice fantasy playoffs from Marvin Mims, and I think you can do that. I will say, last note, they were Sean Payton after the Tim Patrick interview was talking about Cortland Sutton, and the quote was interesting because he was like, "We want to go back to that 2019 mixtape that Cortland Sutton had," and Sean Payton admitted that he had like only watched the last couple seasons for Cortland Sutton, but then he went back and looked at the 2019 season. And that's the season that Sean Payton found some inspiration for Portland Sun. But the same, you can read that as a good thing. Same way. But that is 2019. It's <laughs> quite a while ago, man. So yeah. if you go, and he didn't even call it an album. He only called it a mixtape. So I think the Colin Sutton stuff is still a little up in the air. And I think in theory, Marvin Mims could take the number two job away. But at the same time, that'd be tiny Jerry Judy and tiny Marvin Mims in two wide receiver sets. And this is a, a team that wants to be kind of macho. Mm-hmm. At least there's some downside risk with Cortland Sutton too. Yeah, it, it's interesting. This three, this little pocket of the draft, you have Marvin Mims, DJ Chark, and Alec Pierce, who are all technically like the vertical wide receivers on their team. Granted, DJ Chark is on his third team and on a one-year deal. Alec Pierce is, you know, going into a second season with Anthony Richardson at quarterback. I'm a fan. Um, and then Marvin Mims topping that list. But like that's, again, to use this term, the mystery box of the rookies, and maybe he can be more than just the vertical player that, mm-hmm. you know, he's being billed as. All right, wrap it up. Fifth name, Pat, who is it? Michael Mayer, who has uh, gone from being like the jewel of this tight end class to completely free in uh, in underdog drafts. He is just like regularly available with your last pick. And this guy was crazy productive at Notre Dame. He, he had uh, 840 yards as a true sophomore. Uh, that was good for a 25% dominator rating as a tight end. Very strong. He went for 809 yards and nine touchdowns last season, uh, 20, each 21 for that season. It's a 37% dominator rating there. Um, he also crushed these metrics. I mean, the dude was super productive. Yeah. And then we got a little nervous with Michael Mayer, you know, because he wasn't super athletic, um, which is definitely not ideal, right? But he was sufficiently athletic, I think. Like he, he checks in kind of like Mark Andrews or Zach Ertz. Like, honestly, his athleticism is quite similar to those guys. And what I look for at tight end, I would prefer that everyone be, you know, a 99th percentile athlete. But I also think that receiving skills really matter at tight end. You're you're looking for a guy who can – so far he hasn't held up super well in blocking. We've, we heard uh, – I think it was what Max Crosby just absolutely dominated him um, the first day. Is uh, Was that right? Um, yes, that was right. Yeah, so that's not ideal, but he – he is like a traditional inline tight end, which to me I actually like because it means he doesn't have to like fight an NFL slot wide receiver for snaps. He, his snaps are the tight end snaps that they need in the offense, and he should he should be able to play that role um, or at least earn it pretty quickly over Austin Hooper. But then he can actually go out and earn targets as a tight end, which is not particularly common, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think you know if he were in. The 15th round, I wouldn't be like as excited or the, you know, the 14th round, but he's just completely free. And I really don't, I don't get the discount. It just doesn't really make sense to me. He should be the Raiders starting tight end for most of the season. We think this team's going to throw like, you know, any kind of, any of the disaster scenarios are actually like probably pretty good for Michael Mayer, this guy they just took in the early second round. And again, with the draft capital, the NFL did not seem to be, they didn't go in the first round as, as people thought he might, but he's still very highly drafted um, and projects to have a big role this season. 
his ADP versus Sam Laporta's has gone too far. I get Laporta's in a much better offense, but like, I mean, give me well, a break. Can I can I throw a wrench in that, Hayden? Okay. Sam Laporta has no one to compete with, and I think whenever we look at rookie tight ends, sure, it has to check a lot of the box that you guys said. But the biggest drawback that and downfalls that we have when investing in them is they just don't play enough, right? And right. I think the Raiders have more competition on their roster than the Lions do and the Packers do when we're talking about Sam Laporte and we're talking about Luke Musgrave. I, I know these names are washed, but the Raiders have Austin Hooper and Jacob Hollister who have played like a bunch of NFL snaps versus whoever you're talking about with the Lions and whoever you're talking about with the Green Bay Packers. So to me, the Lions are saying like Laporta's TE1. Right. Sure. You For do sure. have that at least. Yeah. But Austin Hooper, I think, has been what this is fourth team in about five years or whatever. Well, he's he only took making... snaps from like Chigo Quanquo last year. You know, I know there's right. we're talking about different styles of players, but he is that veteran to me tight end roadblock For that sure. we get with a lot of rookie tight ends. Right. And that's why I have been draft, drafting more Musgrave than Mayer. But I, I do think that Mayer has the size to stay on the field for every single snap. And he has the experience of actually being used as a weapon. Yeah. All these these other tight ends, like you usually just like catching screens and flat passes and all that type of stuff, beating in zone. They would use Michael Mayer. They would swing him out. They would use him in very creative ways. And his athleticism to me is not what's going to come in the combine. He's very fluid and kind of like ways that like, like a probably a bad example is like JSN wasn't like athletic on like at the combine, but like he's very clearly athletic on tape. I think that Mayer has some of those attributes and he doesn't get drafted every single time. That's a lot of these late round tight ends and why I'm so attracted to this right now is like you can get some of these rookies out there that have some upside out there. This is a very good rookie class and a lot of these rookies historically have gone to really bad quarterbacks and situations. I think a lot of these rookies for the first time in a while have chances to play or come in uh, decent offenses. Yeah, Pat, I kind of want to push back on the idea that you had where he's an inline guy because at Notre Dame, he was used almost everywhere. Like, I think he had bad draft marketing, and I think that's okay. the where they called him like Baby Gronk. Like, that was totally off. Like, he's not this massive size going to, you know, push you off the ball five yards. And they made him the focal point of their passing game at Notre Dame this past year. Like, almost H back F, it can be a wide tight end at the times too, that he was used everywhere. He really was the focal point. And so to me, maybe that's his early avenue is as a receiver. And if then he gets the blocking aspect of it and is trusted there, then he's the full-time guy, if that makes sense. That's interesting. Yeah, I didn't actually mean to li- sort of limit Mayer there. I was uh, really subtweeting Dalton Kincaid. Yeah. <laughs> I just like, you know, I just have such a hard time with, you know, when the guy's sort of- personnel. Yeah, like it's like he can only, so he's only playing on and how many 12 are you running? Like you're passing yeah. at 12, what, at fourth of the time? Like this, I'm just like here part-time player. Like it's, I just have a hard time. Yeah. Not hearing that when I, when I hear guy is really just a big slot receiver. It's like, that's awesome. But like, you're also going to play all the tight end snaps, right? Yeah. Right. We, we need you yeah. on the field all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. And mayor, I think can be on the field all the time, especially down the stretch. And I think this is a much better tight end class than last year but last year we got and you know from playing in managed leagues where i was like desperate for tight end production in some of them like the guys i was looking at were all rookies it was trey mcbride chigaconquo jelani woods like can i plug these guys in they all look pretty viable as like late season you know kind of dart throw production but the dude is not getting drafted in every league as hayden points out and if he happens to get a spike week in one of those playoff 
uh, weeks, he now provides you leverage on a playoff pod that might not even have him because yeah. he, he wasn't drafted enough. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think and you also think about how you're constructing rosters with a guy who's this cheap. He's probably part of a three tight end build or maybe you're pairing with like a Mark Andrews or Travis Kelsey. And so he's just there for that. Give me that late season spike week. If it takes you four weeks to overcome Austin Hooper, I'm I'm okay. I'll, you know, I'll survive that because I'm mm-hmm. I'm pairing I'm pairing you with you know a guy like Tyler Conklin or you know and and another dude as well who's going to help me fill in those early season uh, tight end weeks. Final note in the Raiders: they did use a fullback on 300 plus snaps last year, which many other teams do not. So, I know we've always attributed 12 personnel with Josh McDaniels, but he also loves his fullbacks too. So it's just a. I'm very intrigued to see what Raiders team we get this year because even last year he like transformed players who had clear strengths in other areas like Devontae Adams and Darren Waller and just turned them into like pure vertical players. Um, and just <laughs> they and might be overthinking I, I things carry over well. with Jimmy Garoppolo. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, you know, maybe picking a Raider is my guy. I can't stop drafting. Wasn't uh, you, you have me moving off that slightly. Uh, Pat, tell us what you've got going on over at Legendary Upside, both on the .com side and the YouTube side. Yeah, so I've I've got a podcast, uh, YouTube channel. You can find uh, wherever you get your podcasts and Legendary Upside on YouTube. That's all free. Um, I've also got LegendaryUpside.com where I've got all my written content, rankings for Underdog as well. You can download them, uh, upload them to the site, uh, and draft right off of them. Uh, they're designed to be draft uh, to have you draft right off of them with with added stacks and, and correlation. We don't want to forget about that, but you know you can. It's got ADP ADP kind of baked in, so you're not going to be you know giving up all that sweet ADP value. Um, but yeah, if you sign up, you can actually get if you sign up for the season long uh, legendary upside, you can get fifty dollar underdog credit mm-hmm. uh, if you just you got to fill out a form that gives me your username, but then you can get a fifty dollar. $50 underdog credit while supplies last. Limited amount of those, but still do have some of those left. Uh, and I've got a bunch of kind of newsletter content that I'm churning out, including an article on tight ends that I plan to have out later this week. And I'll say for Karain on Twitter as well, he is a guy I have the notifications on because he's Absolutely. grinding the damn news. Love that. And I've stopped tweeting about Ronald Jones, so you can... That does help. USC legend, though. So you can bring him back. <laughs> yeah. All right. You, you, you make me uh, think about this lovely game of best ball differently, and that's the best thing I can say, you know? You, you, you bring it from a different perspective. Um, all right, everyone, go and check out Pat's stuff. We'll be back with, uh, I think, four more shows this week. Can't wait. It's that time of the season. Heading into a big, big opening week of preseason action. All right, up the villa. We'll talk to you all soon.